Good morning. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Uh, so if you've got a Bible in the pew in front of you there or on your phone, I would encourage you to turn there. Really, really grateful uh, to be with you this morning. My name is Cameron, and I have the privilege of getting to, um, to help lead one of the church plants that you sent out in these last few years. So Peak Street Church in Old East Dallas uh, is where we are. And uh, this last year has been just a, a real gift. I know, obviously, in the midst of and in spite of some really, really sad and difficult and, and just trying times as a family of churches, um, it's been a gift, really, uh, just within our life together in Old East Dallas. Um, one of the things that you're going to kind of see here maybe are just a few pictures and uh, try to just give you a snapshot into our life kind of at the moment. And I know often with pictures, it's sort of like if, you know, you're showing pictures of your grandkids or your own children, it's a little bit more for the ones showing them on their phone, right, than you actually seeing them. But you should be encouraged by this because through your generosity and through this vision of helping men and women and boys and girls to find and follow Jesus for the flourishing of the city, that's why... These gatherings, these congregations like Peak Street Church exist. So uh, again, we're five years in. Um, our, our children's ministry, our kids' ministry, uh, which was small but mighty, we would say often, has doubled in the last year. We've got to celebrate a lot of baptisms just like you all here. Um, we have also uh, added a new worship gathering on Sunday evenings. And so really, really grateful for just what God is doing there. And then finally, a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated the baptism of a new follower of Jesus whose name is Chris Hemsworth. He is Australian. It's not Thor, just to be clear. But his story is one of, of just immense transformation and the grace of Jesus is just all over it. And we are so encouraged by that and so encouraged by you. So speaking of this new life in Jesus, uh, this Sunday is the first Sunday in what the church has historically acknowledged as Lent. So these days that are leading up to Easter. And so what that means for us, typically within our family of churches, is that we begin this new sermon series, and it's a way for us in the weeks ahead to, to follow Jesus as he sets his face toward Jerusalem. So we're calling this the life of the Son. And the idea here is that the heart of the Father, which we spent the last week, six weeks looking at, is on full display, like full resolution in the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, verse 14, there's this audacious yet really, really wonderful claim that in Christ, God took on our humanity, that the word became flesh. Maybe you remember it being said. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only begotten son from the father, full of grace and truth. So the big idea there is that if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus you want to know the heart of the Father, you begin to participate and lean into the life of the Son. So in the next couple of weeks through our time together, we're going to begin to stay close to Jesus. And we believe that in staying close to Jesus and today and abiding in Him, we're going to find out how much His life makes sense of ours. So let's do that now as we look at John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. The semi-famous image here about the vine and the branches. So John chapter one, or John chapter 15, beginning in verse one. These are the words of Jesus. He says, I am the vine, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. 
Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, verse 5, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in them, they are the ones who bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, they're thrown away like a branch and they begin to wither. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. So abide in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let's pray together. So Father, to that end, we ask that the fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore, that comfort, conviction in real time might be ours in and through abiding in Jesus. To teach us how to do that by the Spirit through your word. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so what does it actually mean to abide in Jesus. In John chapter 13, beginning in chapter 13 through verse through chapter 17, which is we read chapter 15, it's right in the midst of that. These are, in a sense, the last words of Jesus. It's called the upper room discourse. So it's really particular to John. And he wants to get us in on what's most important to Jesus. He's preparing his followers for his death by promising that another one like him will come to them. So hear these words. This is John chapter 14, verse six. And I will ask the father, this is Jesus, the son, and he will give to you as he's looking at his followers, another helper. Translation from the Greek, the paraclete, the helper, the advocate, or even you might call it another one of me, another like me. And he, not an it, but he will be with you forever. Now, in John chapter 15, Jesus gives to his disciples after that great promise, now an image of this new life together. Look at verse five in chapter 15. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in them, they are the ones who bear much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. So this is a total vote of confidence from Jesus to his followers, right? No. But you got to wonder if Jesus has in mind here these images like Isaiah chapter 27, where it talks about how Israel and the people of God who are in exile and they're being overwhelmed by their oppressors, that they will be this great vineyard, this great garden that will be the result of the Lord planting them and they will bear much fruit into all the world. So the nations are going to be healed and they're going to be restored and the glory of God is going to go forward from this great vineyard. And God himself is going to be the one to do it. So Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. But the way that Jesus calls his followers to stay close to him or to be with him is to abide this really unusual word in him. Over 10 times in John chapter 15, Jesus uses this word minnow. 
minnow, which means to abide, or maybe your translation, to remain or to make your home in him. Make your home in me. It's really simple, but it's mysterious that to be a follower of Jesus means to abide in him. But let's go a little bit deeper because it's not just a mere definition. It's really hard to understand, but you don't want to throw in the towel because here's why. We really, like, we really want to figure this out because all of the great benefits that he has achieved on our behalf in and through his life and his death and his resurrection, they flow to you. Now, they have been secured. They're not earned, but they flow to you in and through his life, in and through your union with him, in and through this practice that we call abiding in Jesus. Just notice some of these right out of the gate. Knowing the intimate love of God the Father in verse 9, bearing fruit, which means living a life of strength and kindness, of justice and nobility in a world that desperately needs it. Verse 5, suffering with a redemptive meaning, which means your suffering, if you belong to Jesus, is not in vain. That's what he says. It's being pruned. Verse 2, not being cut off from God forever. Verse 6, fullness of joy, which like, that really sounds good, whatever that is, right? Fullness of joy, verse 11. All these benefits, this cornucopia of benefits flow through abiding in Jesus. But again, like, what does that mean? Because here's, here's a little snapshot, I think, into my own life. And hopefully this helps, this helps you somewhat, right? I was asking this question at, at sort of dark 30 on Tuesday morning. Maybe some of you know this. You get up a little bit early, or maybe this is in the late hours of the night for some of you. It's sort of quiet. At this moment, our black lab is fed and satiated for like 30 seconds. The coffee is like semi-hot still. So I'm reading my Bible, reading this text, and it feels like I'm abiding in Jesus. Anybody else? Then all of a sudden, I looked up and I realized that our children, who are four years old and one year old, that they're not up yet. And this is on me. And we're like 10 minutes over time here. And so we're just frenetic and we're frantic. And if you know anything about it, that like that train to get going of like kids out in the morning, it needs a lot of push. Like, you know, so we get up and we start to just put their breakfast together and they just, they don't want this smoothie. In fact, they kind of throw it out, throw it on the floor. And I'm just flustered and angry and cynical and bitter and mad, not just because of that one smoothie, but it just like sets off something within me. It's very late for a meeting, right, at this time. And so it doesn't feel like I'm really abiding in Jesus from one moment to the next. It just feels kind of in and out. But what does it look like to abide in those moments? In the little, in the small things. It's not, as Walker Percy said in The Last Gentleman, it's not so much in the big, like, things within our lives, but it's these little, everyday moments where God is calling us to be with him because he is absolutely with us. So what does this look like? To abide in one sense is to make your home in Christ because he has made his home in you. Dallas Willard, the author, the spiritual, um, the philosopher calls it the with God life. John Mark Comer, who is his sort of modern day disciple, describes it as being in two places at once. So making an above average smoothie frantically and with Jesus. Checking your inbox and being with Jesus. 
caring for your aging parents and being with Jesus. The loneliness and the darkness of your thoughts at 3 a.m. and being with Jesus. Hosting a good meal for a close friend who's going through a really, really challenging time and being with Jesus. This is what it begins to look like to abide in him and with him. And listen, I get like that's a really nice idea, right? That's a good sort of sound theological idea of our union with Christ. But how do we know it's true? Because if so, for so much of my own life, I feel like if circumstances are going well, if things are quiet, if I'm in somewhat control, then God is with me and he's blessed me. But if you have chronic pain, you're going through difficulties, you've prayed all kinds of prayers that don't feel like they're getting answered, it's really hard to believe that he's not against you, right? So for followers of Jesus, how do we know that he's with us? It's a really good question. Well, all throughout John's gospel, you've got this great image of the branch and the vine and our inseparable union with him. We're going to get to that in a little bit. But you also have this great theme of God's presence, which is bound up in the temple. So the temple in almost all cultures across society, there's some version where heaven and earth meet, whether that's the Axis Mundi or it's a great mountain or a great tree. But here in John's gospel, what Jesus is saying is that remember the dwelling of God, whether that was the temple in the Garden of Eden, the temple in the wilderness where the Lord himself met with his people who were foreigners and exiles heading to the promised land, the great glory days of Solomon and David, that, that illustrious temple, Jesus said they were all pointers, not to a place, but to a person. Because the presence of God, where the people of God would meet once again together, it's now arrived here and it's in me. And so like you see why that got him killed, right? To make those sort of claims. But now the presence, the access to the one true God is in Jesus Christ. And you remember that at his death, that really symbolic movement where the veil of the curtain of the temple that separated the most holy place where it was torn in two, which showed that the sacrifice of Christ himself was sufficient for anyone who comes through him and in his name to get access to the one true God. But it gets even better. It goes farther on to say, and the New Testament writers develop this theme, that it's not so much now that we have this great access to the throne in heaven, although that's true, the throne of grace, as it says in Hebrews 4. But now the Spirit of God has come down into the people of God, so much so that you are where the presence of God is. How about that? 1 Corinthians three seventeen: your bodies are where the Spirit of the living God resides. And that's really hard to believe because we know ourselves, right? And we know all the stuff that goes on inside of here. And we know the darkness and we know the coldness. And we know just like our thoughts that are scattered. And they're not as devoted as we'd like them to be. But we try to sort of make up for it in a variety of ways. We build these really great resumes. We have these really, really impressive families that look like on the outside. But yet we still don't feel like we're really the home of the one true God. And so what Jesus is laboring to say is, that's exactly the point. Like, make your home in me because it's by my gracious initiative. I'm the one who's deciding to move in. 
I'm making my home in you. So what does this begin to look like? And I just want to be brief here, just to try to give you three ways in which abiding in Christ, being with him, this begins to grow from just kind of a vague idea to maybe more of a lived experience of his grace. What does it look like to abide in Jesus? Just three practices. To abide in Jesus means to become more aware of his presence. And so for a lot of us in the season of Lent, one of the things that we want to try to do is take on either maybe one or two new spiritual practices. But if for you, we're really busy. What would it look like for you to actually just build into the ones that you're already taking on? Like we had a moment of silence and confession here. We had a moment of silence and prayer together. What does it look like for us who are abiding and spending so much of our time, me personally too, on our phones to begin to take five minutes of the two and a half hours or whatever the statistic shows that we're all spending on our phones per day so that as we wake up that we place our minds and our lives before the one true God who knows us and sees us. One of the things that I'm trying to do here is just set my timer, like my phone, to say, five minutes, I'm going to be quiet. My thoughts are going to be really scattered. It's not going to look like a nice formal prayer, but this is just to acknowledge that the whole of my life, the good, the bad, the ugly, the smoothies, that they are lived before God, right? So what does that look like for you? In the moments of your day, in the quiet even of the night, to become more and more aware of his presence. But second, to abide in Jesus is to become dependent upon his grace. Will just said this so well in this practice of confession. But we need to know that the work of abiding in Christ like a branch to a vine begins with the gracious initiative of God who is the gardener. You are a seed who has been placed in Christ. So if you have faith in him, even if that faith is feeble and frail, that was the gift of God to unite you to Jesus. It was by his gracious initiative. And here's one of the things you need to know, and you see this in places like verse three, that you are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. God is not surprised, nor is he disgusted by who you are or the thoughts that are inside of you. Let me be clear. He doesn't approve of sin. He doesn't just sort of let us live our truth or whatever the mantra is today. No, no, no. Like he wants us to go after it and he goes after it, which is why he has come into the world. But you need to know that through these practices of confession, yes, here in corporate worship, but even to trusted friends, that those are the means by which we hear and are reminded of the grace of God toward us in Jesus. So it's not only to be aware of his presence, dependent upon his grace, but third and finally in this passage, you see that to abide in Jesus is to become obedient to his commands. There's a big shift that happens when you go from dating to being married, right? Because now all of your abiding is together in this covenant union where you're adhering to these vows of your marriage covenant and all of your stuff and all of your weirdness, and all of the insecurities, and all of the good, and the bad, and the ugly, it's out there, and it's home together, (laughs) right? And so Jesus says that one of the things that it means to abide in me, be with me, is to trust me when I say to you that your life with me and in me is meant to be one where you learn how to love God and love your neighbor. 
That's the whole of the law. What are the commands he's talking about here? If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love. He's talking about the love that God the Father has for God the Son that is given to you so that you might love one another. And finally, notice here that like this is why the church has been given to us. Branches don't just exist by themselves. Like if you've ever seen a tomato plant, it's not just one little vine. It's not just like one little vine and one little tomato, right? It's like a lot together. I remember growing up in Mississippi, my grandparents would bring these like vegetables at the end of August or whenever it was. And it was like beans and tomatoes and all this stuff. And we were like, we don't have room for all this in our freezer, right? But it was like, like they were, it was all growing together. They weren't just like growing one tomato. And what God is saying is that for you and I to become a people of love, to become all that he has for us, to truly abide with him, we're going to need this practice called being with one another in community. So these practices together of, of silence and prayer, of confession, of worship, of community, of hearing the word of God and letting it dwell richly within us, it's not easy. And often it's three steps ahead and two steps back, but over time, this is the way that we abide in Christ. Just to cap off the story, I come to this really, really hard place where I'm frustrated as all get out. And I'm remembering the words of John 15 that are just staring at me at this indictment as I sit in my truck, just furious and very late again for this meeting. So I take a quiet, deep breath and try to remember that Jesus is present. He's like right there in the truck while I'm sulking in my guilt, while I'm, you know, spinning off into oblivion, whatever it looks like. So I reach for my phone and text two friends who we've just decided, hey, just when time comes up and we need to pray for one another, can I just text you? So text a quick text. Tried to be as honest as I could. Hey, I'm flying off the handle right now. And it's a little thing. Like I'm being overly dramatic and it's a little thing, but it's uncovering some big stuff. We just pray that I would help to find rest and steady in Jesus. And they sent back this text. Absolutely been there. In fact, I feel like I'm there this morning. Right? And so all of a sudden what happens is that over time, there's this quiet, there's this stillness. And I go home back to my children. I have to apologize because that's what love demands. I have to acknowledge that the smoothie actually wasn't all that bad. But to acknowledge that flying off the handle at them was. And I say, that's okay. And you know what I met with in that moment? Not catastrophe, not life is over, not this is the absolute worst. But this quiet, little experience of peace. And that joy has been given to me by Jesus, but it's not just me. He says, I have commanded these things so that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. So Father, as we come to you now and to sing and to worship and to continue to live the whole of our lives before you, would you teach us how to abide like a branch to a vine, to see these practices that the church has adopted throughout the ages of reading and hearing scripture, of being in community, of practicing even just a moment of silence here and there, of letting the word of Christ dwell, dwell in us richly, confession and assurance. God, would you help us, help us by your spirit. That's what you, you promised. So we wanna take you up on that. And we love you. We thank you for all that you've done to make these things possible.
We pray this all in your name. Amen.